You know, it's funny is uh, we said we'll never do ICOs again. And then we launched ICOs with pictures <laughs> plugged into them. Uh, Happy New Year. Welcome. Welcome to uh, the first uh, roundup of the year. We're not going to be doing a roundup. We'll get into that in a second. But Santi, how you doing, my friend? Happy New Year. I'm doing great. Uh, uh, really refreshed and op- you know, feeling optimistic. So, uh, yeah. How are you doing? What do, I don't speak French. What does your sweater say? Sweatshirt say? Uh, it's, it's like a, the, the Paris soccer team. Someone gave it to me as a gift. Um, but yeah, I think it says, this is Paris. Uh, Fairly obvious, but yeah. Oh, I'm I, not couldn't even pa- Paris. Uh, I couldn't see the Paris. I couldn't see the Paris below. So I just said, I don't even know how you I'm not, <laughs> You see, you know, I, yeah. the, the, we'll get into the, in, into one of these things uh, of uh, failure, personal failures that I had this year. I wanted to uh, learn French because I moved from the US uh, and uh, I haven't done that. I, th- so. I thought you were going to say fashion because that was one of your failures, but we can we can talk about what. <laughs> <later on. laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 the folks uh, have made a point on commenting on YouTube about all my, uh, how terrible I've been on, on a number of fronts, but fashion is certainly one of them. So yeah, I haven't learned French <laughs> and I'm terrible at fashion. So uh, a great way to kick off this episode. Look, I'm just format. on my high horse. My uh, About once a year, my wife tells me that we need to, that I need better clothes. I always put it off. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to shop. I don't want to spend money on a bunch of new clothes. I just don't want to do it. And then she finally like pulls the trigger and orders like 30 new pieces of clothes for me. And then I try them on and she, she, she helps me return them. And one of the pieces I got, I got this new cardigan. So I'm feeling like I'm on my my fashion high horse. You know, (laughs) I, I I used to wear a lot of cardigans. I I, I still do. I don't know if you can. Okay. Yeah. Nice man. (laughs) Married life coming together. I, I like, like it. Yeah. By the way, I was walking. Uh, I was also walking in in Brooklyn over the break, and I was like, "Man, I haven't got new glasses in like three years." So I popped into a Warby Parker, and um, mm-hmm. I tried on glasses that look like the ones that you have. Just mm-hmm. I was trying a bunch on. Yeah. Man, I cannot pull off that look. No, it's not it's uh, not my go to. <laughs> allow me. This will be. I don't usually goal set for the year, uh, and I can I can tell you why. And I've started stopped doing this for a long time. But uh, this will be an uh, intention that I put forward, which is I will help you find glasses. If you need them, I'll help you find them. All right. I will, I will take you up on the, on the new glasses. So here, here's, what, uh, here's what we're doing today. So uh, same, same format. We're going to do the same format this year as we did last year. Once a week, we've got a guest episode. The other episode of the week that comes out on Fridays is the weekly roundup. Same thing. First roundup of the week is going to be next week. This week, we are doing something different, which is the Empire Awards. Is that what we're calling them, Santi? I feel like we need a much better name than that. Like, there's like the Webbies. There's what? What's mm-hmm. our? Uh, there's the Dundies. What's uh? What's our? What's our name for this? Uh, I don't know, but maybe this is an opportunity to get the some of the hardcore listeners involved, and uh, uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll get inspiration from them. Uh, right, if you have a good name for the, the Empire but, Awards, yeah, then yeah. Uh, then let us know, and we'll use it moving forward. So, yeah. so what we want to do? So we've basically just there are a bunch of questions that Santi and I talk about like hey what's your craziest prediction for next year like hey what was like your best investment of the year like hey what what was your worst investment of the year or hey are there any new like apps or tools that you're using and we talk about this and um i thought it'd be really fun to make all of this actually public information so hopefully we don't overshare too much uh hopefully you guys find this find this uh interesting and not too personal and mm-hmm. um i think uh, importantly back to crypto still but yeah, and I think this is a great idea from you, inspired by some of the feedback that we got from listeners. I mean, we, we're going into year two, I think, uh, where people tend to like is when we talk not just about, you know, industry and business, but also more personal stuff. And um, 
you know, not, not like super sensitive stuff, but just personal stuff in terms. And so I, I'm more than happy to share that people don't like it, you know, um, you know, de definitely let us know we're boring you to death. All right, man, let's get into it. So I'm going to try to break this into like industry, uh, not just predictions. Cause I think everyone's kind of sick of predictions at this point, but like, you know, uh, kind of, kind of big topics, um, within crypto and then also like personal, personal topics. So let's start with some of the industry stuff. Um, biggest reframe for 2022 in your mind for crypto or not for crypto biggest like mental reframing for you for crypto is definitely the lack of risk management of most crypto service providers for me it was a big surprise and i think it came to a big surprise for most people where you know pretty much everyone got caught off guard with one particular trade which was luna and the collapse of luna and the contagion effects that that had i think really exposed the fragility of the crypto, I say service providers because it's the centralized parties that were really caught off guard here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you had Luna, then that led to the three hours collapse and Genesis and FTX and Alameda and Celsius Vo BlockFi Voyager. Like the amount of contagion that that had was really just started with Luna. Um, and I think that was a big, I think caught a lot of people off guard um, and sets the tone for 2023 and going forward. Yeah. Or if they had this, or if they did have good risk risk parameters in place, it was they were all the same risk parameters. Like they basically all tumbled the same way. Um, mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So that's a all right. I think that's a good one. Mine was um, I had I had two here. One is, uh, I think that just from having worked with Maker a little bit, and uh, this is the first you know I've been a recognized delegate for. I think it's been maybe five or six months now. My mm -hmm. takeaway from that is that DAOs need internal leaders. I think that what you're doing with the DAO is you're putting software in place to automate a lot of things. It's I think it's just an extension of like the like you know software is eating the world. I think that mm -hmm. DAOs are kind of just an extension of that. Um and that like da what DAOs do is they automate a lot even even more processes than SaaS businesses do. Mm -hmm. But what has become abundantly clear to me having done season 2 of Bell Curve which was all about DAOs, having worked inside Maker for a little bit is that DAOs need internal leaders. I'm not saying you have like a CEO of the DAO, but much like more defined internal leaders. Because what that does is um, when things don't go well, you know, it's like, hey, that that person is responsible for that. So it puts responsibility yeah. on things. And then I, I think people are probably sick of hearing me talk about this at this point, but I got really scarred by, um, I, get, I think the second reframe is uh, that brand NFTs like corporates doing NFTs might actually be a real thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been incredibly skeptical on that for a while. And mm -hmm. I've started to change my mind on that. So yeah, I think just commenting on the first point, which I think is a great observation, not just in crypto, but generally given the trans, the, the, the innovation that we're seeing in AI is this tendency. Yes, we can innovate. We can automate a lot of things, but humans still play a central role in, in certain functions. And uh, you can't collapse hierarchy software, yeah, rules the world, but yeah, code is law, but you still need human intervention. There's still a place for humans to interact with technology, uh, I think. And so, uh, yeah. you because know, AI is not all the rage, but uh, I think there, there will be a, the, the role for advanced like human skills is even going to be greater in how to manage this technology and including like working with DAOs and stuff. All right. Next, next big reframe. This is a non-crypto one. I think uh, I, I, I have a feeling you'll disagree with me here. I've come to the belief that angel investing is not a good way to make money. Um, that could be the part of the market that we're at. Like that could be a very bear market take 
But I think I did, I think I made 12 or somewhere between 12 to 15 angel investments in 2022. And this year has just shown me how difficult it is for a startup to really hit it big and, um, and for your angel portfolio to really make good returns. Um, so, so a couple of things that like, let me just, I'll, I'll play this out a little bit. If you look at some of the companies that like, let's say you angel invest in some of the best companies in crypto, like flashback a year. And you're like, I, I have an amazing portfolio. I invested several years ago in BitGo, Circle, BlockFi, like on paper, the companies that have done it incredibly well. So what happens is I think there's just like a lot of ways that these companies can not give you liquidity, do really well, but still not give you liquidity. For example, Circle wanted to IPO, but then the market shit the bed. So they haven't IPO'd yet or done their SPAC or whatever they were going to do. Um, what's another one? Uh, BlockFi. BlockFi was like this darling company, uh, was raising at like three or four or five billion dollars. Obviously, BlockFi is falling apart. Another one, BitGo. BitGo, if you had angel invest in them, you would have waited several years and then you get this amazing return when they sell for like a billion or 1.2 to Galaxy. But now that deal is falling apart, right? So it's just shown me um, how like how important the, A, how, t- how tough it is to make a return. B, how um, I think I underweighted the illiquidity premium um, and like not having, having put a lot of capital into these companies means less capital in a bear market to you know, buy ETH at a thousand bucks, for example. So I think I underweighted that. Um, and I also just, yeah, yeah. So those are, my, that's my, that's my reframing. Uh, I think it, I would have told you that exactly that same observation last cycle, because that was a theme for me where I had so many liquid investments and mis mispricing the liquidity premium, 20, 30, 40%. Um, and so I think I would put, I would definitely push back um, that angel investing or just early stage investing is not like a good strategy. Um, I think the sample size is going to be tricky. Like the cohort of companies that you're investing in at the value entry points, you know, is going to, is going to matter a lot. Uh, I think your sample size is a bit skewed to centralized players in crypto, um, which goes back to the point of liquidity, right? Because you could also have invested in, you know, for me, early stage is also buying certain tokens at a valuation that resembles early stage, you know? And I think that, uh, you don't, you have liquidity there. Um, you also, the, I think that the, the time for a company to go public and get liquidity in traditional, in traditional venture and certain part pockets of venture, uh, of crypto, like, you know, BlockFi and, you know, and some other players, um, you know, getting liquidity is tough, but in crypto is sort of like a weird asset class where you can get liquidity much faster. Right. Yeah. If you invest in certain projects uh, and you can use that token, you don't necessarily have to sell it, but you can use it, you can stake it, you can borrow against it. And so that is one of the key properties, I think, of this asset class, which is historically, you know, I think there was a point where venture, traditional venture, the time to exit, time to liquidity was much compressed than where it is now. Um, but crypto allows you to have much more liquidity. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's dead for what it's worth. I'll continue to do it. But I do think that managing, capital and cash flow to be able to invest like for instance as you said an ETH sub a thousand is really important yeah i think um i'm like i'm just thinking about how many kind of deals i want to do and how much capital to deploy into these angel deals in 2023 and one thing that's very clear to me is that i still i'm i'm still so new to the angel investing game 
I think probably, I think I maybe did two or three deals in 2021, like 12 or 15 in 2022. I'm not good. I've, I know this about myself so far or just, I, I don't know. Like each time I would make an investment, I would write down like, oh, I think this is going to do X. I think like the time frame is here. I think here's why it'll do well. Those were not correct. Like I was pretty all over the place in my, I, I don't have a good understanding yet of, of, uh, but, of but, like, of, but what's of who will correct. do well. Yeah. yeah, the thing is, like, I'll tell you the truth. Most of, I, I do go back and say some of my best investments felt really uncomfortable, not obvious, and as you said, totally missed my. I always do like a downside case, base case, upside case. Yeah, and I can tell you the ones that seem more obvious, clean bets were not. The ones that were more uncomfortable just surprised me, both upside and downside. Yeah, yeah. and I think the key though is like I think. A, we obsess a lot about it hasn't been a good investment. So when you ask the question, it's difficult because you have to sort of take a snapshot point in time. Um, and, and what could be a terrible investment might turn out to be a fantastic investment, you know, in the next two, three years. And so the key is just being patient. And the best exercise that I've done is just understanding that th these things are going to take time. And if you're not positioning yourself to be very patient and wait like five years, 10 years, then you're you're likely going to put yourself in a bad situation where you're going to be forced to sell or or eager to sell um and so it is very tricky to to like do that observation especially in this moment in time where you take a snapshot and everything's down considerably yeah and so um it, you know it's it's sort of like a power, it is very much so a power law distribution i play the game I, I think of it in probabilities like okay if i'm investing in a cohort of 50 companies i just know that it's going to be one or two that really carry the day uh, and really make up yeah. for all the losses. Yeah. But it's tough though. I think where it got tough for me is like, I don't, I basically, you know, peanut butter spread or whatever the right word is. Like mm -hmm. if I took X amount of capital and I invested it in 10 companies, I just kind of took X divided by 10. Right. Yeah. Whereas I'd where, like, if I do other investments, I would never do it like that. I'd be like, oh, I have more conviction here. So I'm going to put more, but anyways, yeah. I want to, I want to move through these. So what was your, um, yeah. What, what was yeah. your uh, biggest reframe for non-crypto? I think generally it is this idea that you have to dance while the music is playing, but you have to really make sure one, where the exit is and how big that door is. Mm. Uh, and I think it ties back to Luna, for instance, like Luna could have worked. There was a couple of reasons where a scenario where Luna could have worked if they had perhaps diversified the treasury better. And the market hadn't shifted as much. The problem was that the size of the people in that party grew from one to a hundred. The size of that door didn't. And so that has a whole host of problems. And I think it emphasizes the broader point that I think we're going to see going into 2023 is it really exposes exposing market fragility when there's lack of liquidity. And you saw that kind of in the UK during the mini budget, like, you know, pension funds were scrambling to sell assets to cover kind of liabilities because uh, the guilt market just kind of basically shut down overnight. And it was really like interesting to see that because we're used to saying and thinking that yeah, crypto markets are fairly, very underdeveloped, but I think we're going to start to see where things really break when, when you're in a different market environment that you haven't had in the last 12 years. So for me, that's a big reframe. It's like, People still need to allocate capital. They're kind of forced to as asset managers, but um, 
it's this idea of just being perhaps more nimble when you're thinking like you could have said in November, 2021 markets coming down in crypto. You said, okay, yeah, like rates are going up and then just like being really, it's sort of this tension that you have in one end, you want to be a long-term investor in another. You're seeing some profound changes that haven't happened in the last 12 years. You're hearing folks like even as late as like the summer where most people are like, you know, we've seen a pretty, pretty big move from and stance and rate hikes since March. That was that was still early. Like yeah. you could have like exited the market then. And so it, it's it's I think it goes back to the episode with Eric Peters, which is survival. And sometimes you could just go years without doing anything. But the most important thing, and he said something that is really for me, it was really an eye opener. It was just such a simple framing of it, which was you can't even be lucky when you're dead. You can't even buy a lottery ticket when you're dead. And so I, I think that's a big you know, you count your blessings going into the year if you're if you're in this position where you have some capital. Um, but being very, I think, nimble is something that has been a big re- kind of a reset reframe for me. I like that one. Favorite project or business of the year? No surprise. I mean, I, I, folks have heard me talk about this and none of this is, look, there's certain bias because I'm an investor in some of these companies. I'll speak from experience because the project, I'll, I'll frame it as the project I spent the most amount of time last year. I was going through this question is Alluvium. I've been the longest standing council member there. Um, and coming off of Parify, I, I was very, I still am very bullish on the, on the gaming category. And so like thematically, my favorite kind of theme is, is gaming. I think it's making crypto relatable. We'll make it mainstream. We'll be the catalyst next cycle. And, you know, there's certain games that have come a long way. You know, when I first was a seed, did the seed round for Alluvium in like December of 2020, you know, they've gone from zero to 150 developers, artists, gamers, uh, sorry, designers. So the team's grown a lot. They've launched and they've executed on the roadmap pretty impressively. And what is really interesting is kind of this, they're being opening, like building in the open. And the way that they've launched the like they've launched the auto battler game, and then they launched like land NFTs. Now they're about to launch the game where you know mobile and desktop where people can you know develop that land. And so in a, they're they're building in the open, but also maintaining a certain level of centralization of the team, getting the community involved. And I think it's it's going to be a blueprint for other game studios out there trying to like navigate and enter into Web three. So for me, I'm just excited, you know about the way that I think it's going to be a good example of, of how to develop a web three game. And, and also a reminder, you know, games take a long, a long time to develop. And so it's just been very interesting to see how the community sometimes has been frustrated that they haven't moved fast enough. And, you know, it's just sort of this tension. Uh, but for me, it's been just a very rewarding experience of being involved and seeing how all this is kind of shaping up and, I think this year is going to be people are going to increasingly understand how the different kind of three different games uh, that Alluvium is building are stitching together quite nicely, you know, integrating NFTs and, you know, from, from like catching like cards, like Pokemon to lands like SimCity and then building them all together and then auto battling and leveling up. So I think the, the, like the game is coming together quite nicely. So for me, it's definitely Alluvium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kieran just messaged me today. Actually, I think it sounds like they have a big announcement coming out this week. So, um, all right, my, mine was blo- uh, actually the blockchain association, which I have. There's another category like breakout companies. Maybe we can move into that where I have maybe more of like a crypto native answer. But 
I think this was a year where the regulatory side of things actually could have gone really poorly, especially if Sam's bill got pushed forward faster than it it did. If things maybe didn't get slowed down before we have, um, uh, uh, well, 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 the Dems still own both the Senate and the House. Um, I think things could have like looked really differently at this time um, if there weren't folks like Coin Center, but also really the Blockchain Association uh, going to bat for and re- for crypto and really being the voice of crypto in DC. So I think mm-hmm. this was a pretty important year for um, this was a year when I think a lot of folks in DC could have really got a black eye by crypto. And I think they did, but I think we have, we have the blockchain association on our side, really going to bat for crypto. So mm-hmm. I'll give them a call out. Yeah, definitely. By the way, the Senator that was pushing the bill, the SBF bill resigned today, I believe. Oh, wow. I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Crypto person of the year. I struggled with this, um, but I did say, I actually said Ryan Wyatt from Polygon. Um, so he came over, I think he was running YouTube's like gaming studio or something like that. Or maybe so I think he was running YouTube's gaming studio. If you just look at the Polygon deals that they've closed this year, it's like Polygon has brought in DraftKings, Adobe, the NFL, Liverpool, Starbucks, Adidas, Prada, uh, Walt Disney. I'm sure I'm missing others. Facebook, um, Stripe, like Instagram, like they brought, they brought in all these huge kind of traditional institutional brands, web two players into crypto. And, um, things haven't really happened with that so far, but I'm, I'm optimistic that in 2023, those brands actually do something. So yeah, I'll give a shout out to Ryan there. Definitely. For me, it was very clear the, the Ethereum developers working on the merge, um, sometimes, uh, so like Tim Bico. Justin Drake, Royal Jordan, among others, there's a great article that just covers and profiles like eight of them, but it was a huge overhaul and people forget, but it's been, you know, years in the making. And I think these guys have been very consistent and patient. And uh, so kudos to them because I think the merge was, I think one of the more important developments uh, of crypto history, the ability to really show people that such a distributed decentralized system can agree and make such a big transition uh kind of this analogy of building an airplane uh, while in flight uh certainly the airplane is an important you know and carrying a lot of passengers and so i think these guys really carried a very stressful but important role and uh the merge for me was one of the more will i think go down as one of the more fascinating important milestones of this industry uh, if we look back in the next 10 years, I would say not just this industry. One thing, one thing that was interesting about when the, on the day the merge happened is you had folks from kind of just like very respected software people mm-hmm. commenting on how impressive this big open source development really was like mm-hmm. you know, the Collison brothers mm-hmm. at Stripe, you had Toby from Shopify you had mm-hmm. um, pretty OG, like Linux people just commenting on yeah. how, how tough it is to actually push this through. So, all right, that's, that's a great answer. I like, I like your answer a lot. Yeah. Um, breakout companies of the year or breakout company of the year? Um, Who'd you say here? Uh, I'll start with the theme. Uh, I think crypto... Are you doing 2022? I'm doing... Well, I guess I have both, but I'll I'll do 2022. And then you can do 2022. 2022 for me was thematically, I think crypto became much more relatable, mainstream for people. Finally, kind of for me, and and I'll notice for me, it was just easier to explain crypto. And I had people actually come to me for like an invite for step in. And or thinking about NFTs and, you know, NFTs have been around for a while, but I think certainly like 2022 was a year where people like you had, you know, 
even the NFTs and lifestyle apps. Early ones in their beta form, like Stepin or Alluvium Auto Battle or whatever. Um, and, and also, as you alluded to, normal brands really entering the fold. And so for me, thematically, that was like a breakout theme. Uh, the company that I picked, again, I'm biased because I'm an investor and I'm an advisor. So full disclosure, and none of this advice or financial advice or whatever is stepping. And it was really interesting because they launched in December, I guess, technically of 2021. In 2022, they were only in their beta form, but I think they become very quickly a number one app. And I had people that have been historically very skeptical on crypto ping me and say, hey, can I get an invite code? Because I mm -hmm. want to, you know, I'm, I'm running a marathon. Don't forget about for that 5K. period of time when there's a bunch of like a lot of the Web2 people, like big Web2 people or non-crypto folks are like, let me get a step in code. Let me get a step in code. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. And, and, you know, I think, look, there are criticisms now, especially, you know, the, uh, of, you know, the, the, the in-game economics and this play to earn, I think is a misnomer. And, you know, it's not a perfect app. Uh, they're working hard on. And we had a great episode of, with Jan from, from Stepin here. So people should go to it. But uh, yeah, for me, it's I think uh, an app like Stepin is breakout in the sense that it made crypto very relatable, especially for people that historically have been very skeptical. And it's this idea that if we're going to come out of this bear market, putting macro on the side, it's going to be because the bar to acquire a user in crypto has gone up meaningfully, given all the, the blow ups this year. And so it really puts the pressure on the industry to deliver beautiful apps that without a question you're going to be using because you stop using post when you had email you had stopped using you know the train when you could fly it's the same the bar is really high and so i think um you know it, it, it's uh it, it's good frankly yeah. it weeds out a lot of the bullshit and it and you know i think you have to deliver a beautiful app or a product. And so uh, Stepin, I think, gave us early indications of what that might look like uh, for other companies. My breakout, I have, I have two breakout companies of the year, and it's tied around two of the biggest themes of the year, staking and MEV. And those are two areas of crypto that could have been very just centralized with like, like to run to run an ETH validator node, for example, you need 32 ETH, you need a computer system with high quality CPU, uh, CPU. you need like operational knowledge to run a validator node you need i think you need a, approval from the network um which has like a long wait i i think you need that i'm not i'm not entirely sure actually um so then the other the only the other uh option would be like kind of staking through a centralized exchange like a, a coinbase or a binance or whoever or kraken offers it after their uh, acquisition of staked lido came onto the scene and unlocked the ability for people to do for for steeth right and it was like any anyone so i think lido helped to like um not decentralized staking but like give more people op the opportunity to participate in staking so i think mm -hmm. lido and it's then the like other a, one was, it's a collective of, of validators that are approved by a, kind of a, a collective right. group but uh, uh so i would say lido and then on the on the mev front i would say i mean flashbots right like flashbots you've got mev is like now people are figuring out is like the one of the best ways for blockchains to monetize uh and flashbots builds these tools to make mev accessible to users who otherwise might be maybe technical uh technically or like financially uh enabled to participate in mev and it just makes the process more transparent so you've had i don't know how much money probably at this probably at this point billions or over over a billion i would, I would assume has been uh extracted through mev using flashbots and um 
yeah, so big big shout out to both Flashbots and Lido. My breakout company for 2023, I just I think that staking continues to get bigger in 2023 and um like leveraging ETH security to continue building on the network will get bigger. Um I it's tough for me to say like one company. I think in the predictions I talked about Uniswap. I think Uniswap who had kind of a quiet year in 2022 will have a big year in 2023, but that feels like a boring answer. So my answer is actually a less known company, which is Eigenlayer. I'm not an investor. I've no part. I've never even talked to their team. Actually, they're coming on the podcast soon, which will be the first time I've ever talked to them. But I think this year you're going to see a lot more innovation in like ETH staking as capital is going to want more secure forms of yield. Um, and I think what Eigenla Eigenlayer is doing, from my understanding, is like particularly innovative staking project where they provide. Um, like security as a service to like rollups and bridges and oracles. Um, and it allows those projects to leverage ETH's stake security to supplement or like complement the security um, that's provided by their native token. So um, I think they're launching, I think, restaking, the restaking protocol, the first like middleware using the restaking mechanism called Eigen DA, data av availability, I think it is. Anyways, I don't, that, that's my like kind of farther out there prediction. So what do you think about yeah. Breakout Company in 2023? I didn't have one purposely. I, I do have like overlooked verticals, innovations in crypto going on right now. Uh, yep. But I purposely skipped this one. Maybe we should talk about like the unsexy businesses of the year, 2022, 2023. Go for it. Um, unsexy businesses of the year. It's more of an interesting question. Great. For me, it's this, uh, I'm not actually an investor here, uh, but I do think it's going to be a big thing for this idea of credentialing and gatekeeping of crypto front ends is going to be pretty, pretty important. Uh, identity NFTs that comply, that kind of attest to KYC AML, I think is going to be very important. Um, you have a company like Barada that is kind of ish minting you a NFT once you've kind of gone through a verification process. Um, and I think that really opens up to something you said just now where Uniswap is going to have like a, a pretty, pretty good year, but it's a boring answer. Look, DeFi is a boring sector has been for a while um the yield farming days that were fun are gone but a lot of a lot of the foundation is there and so i think uh, i think decentral like permissioned DeFi is going to be a thing permission not in the sense like anyone can interact but i think trust i'd rather frame it as trusted pools of liquidity are going to become the primary liquidity venues in DeFi. you're you're probably will continue to have like this, like non-trusted, but trusted, I mean, everyone in the pool is KYC has a Barada NFT or some sort of NFT. And that really, I think opens up one, I think it's going to marry nicely with some, whatever regulatory guidance we're going to have going forward. Um, and two, um, I think it really will, we're going to see DeFi research at some point. It's not dead. Um, I think the recent blowups, have further solidified the reason of existence of DeFi, uh, where it thrives, where it doesn't thrive. You know, capital efficiency has always been an issue, probably will always be an issue. But maybe with trusted pools of liquidity, you kind of solve a lot of the a lot of the things that you know a lot of people are critical of DeFi, particularly capital efficiency. I think really gets solved once you have trusted pools of liquidity where JP Morgan can interact with Goldman, where I can interact with you, Jason. I know the counterparty very well um, in this pool, you know, an AMM or, you know, money market like Aave. And so I think that is going to be, uh, I think DeFi 
continues to be unsexy, but shines uh, again. Um, and, and, you know, I think, uh, you need, in order for this to work, you need trusted pools of, of liquidity and I see, uh, identity NFTs, uh, really important kind of front and center in, in unlocking that. Nice. I like that answer. Um, my unsexy business of 2022, I have two answers. One is Coinbase because Coinbase got a ton of shit for like not being crypto native enough and like just kind of being this like boring business. When if you remember like back in the raging bull market that they were getting pushed by like the crypto community kind of turned on Coinbase. Um, and so I'll just say like they've just like stuck to their lane and built and like I'll give I'll give Coinbase a shout out. I will also give a shout out to... um unsexy businesses of the year, anyone who didn't chase this like wild venture backed narrative that we've been on for the last decade. Um, so bootstrapped profitable businesses, I've got a soft spot for them. Um, I will also you say, mean, you mean like, you mean like Blockworks? Yeah, but there's a lot of other good ones out there. <laughs> you know, just, I have a soft spot in my heart. I, I mean, that's why I have no, a soft no. spot in my heart. I think, I think it was yeah. tough. Honestly, I think what Did you, I, 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 more of a personal question. At some point, you would have gotten approached by a lot of people wanted to give you money. We get approached. I think you have. Yeah, all, all, all the time. time. I'm yeah. sure you get all the time. Yeah. How did you like navigate that? Did you ever look back and say, gosh, if we don't do it, we're going to be at a disadvantage and we got to like put fuel to well, the that's fire? Why, this that's stuff. why I have a lot of respect for someone like Coinbase because when you see other companies who are your direct competitors built like doing something crazy, like hiring, hiring like crazy or something like that, it's very easy to get FOMO looking at competitors. And I mean, during the bull market, Mike and I definitely had that, right? Looking at some competitors who like, we, we know their business models inside and out, just like, you know, Brian knows, knew the FTX business inside and out because you're building the same thing as them or something very similar. So we know the business models of all the other crypto media companies very well. And when we have the same amount of employees, they have the same amount of employees, but then they grow by 400% and we only grow by 20%. We're like, Hmm, some, something's going on there. So there's use, like, I think it's easy to get a lot of FOMO and start chasing after competitors. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, yeah, we, we just, I, I, I think in general, it doesn't make sense for media companies to raise capital until they have, un, un, maybe until they, or unless they have a product that sits at the bottom of the media funnel, then it, then it makes sense to consider it at least. So yeah. So, um, unsexy business of this year. I think that one thing that came up in the Colleen and Peter Brevin Howard episode that launches on, uh, on Monday is custody and exchanges separating, uh, excuse me, custody and settlement finally starting to separate from centralized exchanges. So what we call an exchange in crypto is, um, it's really a brokerage. It's an exchange. It's a custodian. It's a clearing and settlement provider. It looks very different in traditional capital markets. I think there are a couple companies that are going to do really well from that uh, separation. Anchorage, Fireblocks, Copper, right? All of these like unsexy uh, capital markets providers, institutional capital markets providers for crypto. Though, like especially those three, there's, there's other ones who you know, Bitco, I'm sure will do well too. Like those are kind of unsexy businesses that are probably going to do really well as regulation comes down and stuff like that. All right. Um, what I'll throw one at you. Do you want to do wildest prediction for 2023 or highest conviction bet for 2023? It's the same actually. 
All right. For me, it's, the answer is the same. Um, I think Ethereum flips Bitcoin. Uh, you know, this has been, uh, people might say this is a very like normie answer. You know, you're roughly at 45% dominance right now. And I just think the narrative for ETH is really solidified um, with the merge. There are some issues with centralization. I get it. But um, I do think that, you know, I'll just give you a data point. So ETH and Bitcoin are down exactly the same 5% from their all-time highs this cycle. Last cycle, so 2017, 2019, ETH was down like 95%. Bitcoin was down 80%. Um, you know, it's not the only reason and the only thing I look at, but I think that's indicative of the the resiliency of ETH, of Ethereum's network. And you started, I started to observe that the the folks coming in, I think really, I struggle with Bitcoin's narrative um, because it's not a hedge really against inflation. It's not really a macro hedge. I think really smart macro guys don't, don't, don't put on this trade. Um, finally, I think, you know, it's sort of been, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt because we hadn't been through a recession and we're, we're going through one now. And this is just behave like a risk on asset. Can it become a digital gold in a hundred years? Most likely, but it's just going to take time. And I just think the look, even if it becomes digital gold, it's a trillion market. The settlement layer of the internet is much bigger than that. And I think ETH has really come out strong in that. Uh, and, and I think the use cases, like you think about, we've had this discussion before, like I'm not like a maxi. I, I do like Bitcoin in, in some capacity, but I think the reason for me to hold Bitcoin is just, it's not there. I do need to hold ETH for a number of reasons. It's like, uh, I use it and it's important for me. And, uh, you know, I stake it, I can get some yield and I pay for gas. And so I, I do think that, uh, in a recovery, uh, you know, ETH really outperforms Bitcoin to a point where if it doesn't flip it, it comes very, very close to flipping it. And my best, highest conviction bet, we talked about early stage investing. I do think that like outperforming the majors, particularly Ethereum is really hard, very hard over a long-term horizon, medium long-term horizon. And I arguably think it's like the best risk adjusted bet. If you're going to allocate a crypto, I think for me, going back to your opening line of I'm doubting if angel investing is really worth it. My benchmark always is this going to outperform ETH and, and like applying like a sharp ratio and like thinking, okay, when I say risk adjusted, it's a very nebulous financial like metric because how do you think, but I just think about it from if I make an investment in like, you know, the liquidity component, the, you know, this idea that a team might just close shop and, you know, might be, you know, it has all the risks of an early stage venture and team building and what have you. Like Ethereum has just grown into this thing that is is executing, working. It's not perfect, but I think it just gives you really, for me, it, it over time, it's harder and harder to justify making an investment, rotating ETH into that. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I think... I think Ethereum is a, is a very clean bet on the industry um, and the industry's growth. I need, I need to think about that one. I, um, <laughs> it's funny being on, so we've got this Empire podcast. I also sit in and sometimes co-host um, the Bell Curve podcast with Mike. Um, 
and the other we do another roundup with uh, Vance and Michael from Framework, and they're both Uber ETH bulls. So I've been inundated with you, Michael, and Vance uh, spit spitting the ETH narrative. Yeah, um, my like maybe my pushback would just be that in the last bear market, Bitcoin was that thing where it was like you just like every everyone was like like Bitcoin was what you are saying today, where it's like. No ifs, ands, or buts. Like Bitcoin is the Bitcoin is the only thing. Like you have, like you put your whole portfolio in Bitcoin, and like you will make it. Um, and uh, I don't know. It didn't really turn out that way. Uh, maybe here's here's my question for you. What what would make you change your mind? Like what would make you reconsider that? I think because there's something with the app chain thesis, something with another L1, something with things getting built on Bitcoin. So like, yeah, is there anything? Yeah. Two things, developers, the number of developer activity meaningfully shifting away from Ethereum, like seeing mm. top developers, top teams leaving could be part of the app chain thesis, like building on Cosmos, like DYDX. If I see another 20 DYDXs leaving Ethereum, departing Ethereum and moving to another chain or building their own, we talked about vertical integration, for instance, like a, an app building their own chain, then that could be one. And the second one is this censorship of transactions becoming a, a really big issue. If that happens, I think we have a more existential question crisis in the industry because that would probably mean that they like shut down and make DeFi impossible. Uh, and it's really a full blown out in that tail risk that we yeah. always have had in crypto, which is there could be a version where when you try to separate money and state or become make it more decentralized, there's going to be people that are not going to be happy about that and can make your life still can make your life very, very difficult. And I think that, you know, tornado cast situation was something that I think was, I understand the motivation of why it happened. We had a great discussion with a few, two podcasts touching on this, but people I think over were, were pretty paranoid of, of this censorship component. And, you know, what I mean by that is a lot of validators are in, you know, a place like the U.S. and, you know, the U.S. government could say, hey, listen, you know, you're validating a transaction of an enemy, known enemy of the state. That That's not, you know, that's that's an issue, right? So we're going against OFAC. Uh, and so it's, it's like almost doing trade with Iran or North Korea. Not, you know, that's not legal. And so, yeah, I think it's, that would probably give me pause. And I think that further shifts the pendulum back to, okay, Bitcoin doesn't have this issue. Here, here's a bet I'll make for 2023 is that that maybe would fall into the bucket of like a non-ETH maxi um, type thing is uh, I think a tier one DeFi protocol this year will launch its own chain. Um, and I think we're going to see, I think we're at the, be well, Compound tried it. Compound tried it with yeah. Polkadot and it didn't, yeah. didn't work, didn't yeah. work out. But, you talk, know, about, but if, talk about a project that we haven't talked at all this year. Like you control F. Polkadot, crickets. Polkadot, not yeah. Not. I mean EOS, but Polkadot, yeah, Cardano. Yeah, po Polkadot blew, I think, a massive opportunity. But so like Compound tried to build their own chain, from my understanding, and they did it with Polkadot, and it was like colossal headache, and they dropped it. If they had chosen Cosmos, I just wonder what, like the I think the app chain thesis would be a lot stronger, and I think the app chain thesis. I mean, we're doing season three of Bell Curve on the app chain thesis. Like I think we're, I think it'll be a narrative this year so anyways mm -hmm. that's a that's a thought let's move past it um yeah. most, most overlooked 
Do you want to do yeah. most overlooked vertical in crypto? Yeah, let's cover that quickly. Let's cover okay. that quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I EIP. Actually... Oh, go, go ahead. Go, go, go. Okay. Uh, EIP 4844. This is um, really sets the stage for scaling. I think, you know, we're all excited about zero knowledge proofs and ZK rollups and everything, but I think rollups in the short and medium term, possibly even the longer term, uh, are really kind of a very trustless scaling solution for Ethereum. And I think that EIP 4844 will really help, you know, continue to push the ecosystem, the Ethereum ecosystem towards rollups. Um, and, uh, you know, for context, I mean, I don't know how much you want me to go to 4844, but people go read about it. Um, blobs. I'm just excited for there to be blobs. Blobs. <laughs> like blobs. I mean, it's just a great I love name that too. word. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm a big We've believer blobs, in this great, great, great words. Nature, baby. Great, great words behind great technology. Also, like proto-dank sharding with proto -dank blob, sharding. Carry, blob carrying transactions, man. Can't, I mean, it's just such it. a funky, but great <laughs> word. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, roll-up fees considerably down, right? Everyone talks about at some point L2 hits a, a limitation point. Um, and I've had this discussion with teams like Arbitrum and Scroll uh, and others, and we've had on the podcast around, hey, is there a time where an L2 just hits a, a threshold, a limiting capacity? Um, but I think this innovation, EIP 4844, really opens, like gives further runway for an yeah. L2 to credibly support. I mean, I don't know the number. I've asked this a lot, to a lot of devs. Like, what is that number? Is it billion? How many billion users? How many uh, volume of transactions would this allow for and open up? But I think it's meaningful. And, and I think it coincides, if this goes through, it would really just marry nicely in terms of timing of, Potentially seeing, continue to see more lifestyle lifestyle apps, people coming in and, and trying to play a game or, you know, buy NFTs or whatever, interacting some sort of metaverse that is hyped up by Yuga Labs or whatever. So I, yeah. th I think this is a key piece of innovation. I like it. My most overlooked vertical uh, innovation in crypto right now. I actually had an answer that ties back to what you were saying earlier, um, which is I said I wrote like a combination of like NFTs as cookies, like digital identity projects, and which kind of combines into one thing, which is like your your wallet being your home for all things digital, not just crypto. Like I think we think of wallets today as like where I store my crypto assets. I think then it becomes like where I store my crypto assets and like my JPEGs and like in a maybe better and like more fun way to use. And then it becomes like just my home for my, my digital identity home. Yeah, like and, a passport credentialing system. Yeah, and I just think the wallet like MetaMask has never had a real competitor and this is the year they get real competitors. So I think we'll see the, you know, we went from the exchange wars of 2017 to the, the L1 wars of 2020, 2021 into the, the wallet wars of 2023, 2024. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I think that's a, an overlooked sector that I think, you know, when we, we used to overlook other L1s uh, mm -hmm. and now, and now L1s are huge. I think we'll, we'll think about wallets in the same way by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, most overhyped thing in crypto right now. Surprisingly, I'll say like utility NFTs and the metaverse in the sense that like, I want to make a distinction. Like I'm very excited about games. I do think that NFTs, as we're seeing them just in their current form, like art is pretty cool, but I struggle when teams like kind of confuse and try to like promise that they're going to build and metaverse and, you know, build, bring utility, like, like you go and buy art it's because you like it you don't expect that art to do pretty much anything other than like be visually appealing and convey something to you 
for this reason, I think just punks have a very clear and defined role in that, in the art NFT scene. But I think that like a lot of projects in the art NFT scene will go through this identity crisis uh, of just saying, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to build a metaverse here. <laughs> and, and then it becomes really kind of difficult. So I think it's a very hyped, um, very hyped kind of, because we're seeing a, a lot of activity yeah. in NFTs, but just be very clear. My best advice is be very clear on what you're doing. And like building a metaverse with a team of 20 people is very, look at Facebook. I mean, Facebook is probably going to shut down. Very hard. I think I would uh, correct you. It's, it's very impossible. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, like, look, Facebook is probably going to shut down their like whole metaverse initiative. It's going to be weird because they rebranded to Meta, but I think for the reason they're going to get so much pressure, uh, yeah. it's a reminder that it's going to take a lot of time to build the metaverse. So, yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, we said we'll never do ICOs again. And then we launched ICOs with pictures <laughs> plugged into them. There we go. Um, what was yours? Uh, board Apes. I think it is absurd that the price of that uh, Apes still have a 75 ETH floor. I think... Um, People, people bought apes primarily because all these celebs were buying board apes, and now it's come out that like the celebs had been gifted these apes, gifted. and that they had no interest in the apes, and that that is basically just like a, a sponsorship deal. I mean, it'll go down as one of the best sponsorship influencer marketing deals of all time. That I mm -hmm. think I think it was Moonpay who uh, who middlemaned a lot of those deals, and like mm -hmm. I just think, you know, if the if it was like I've I've been to a doodles party, it's pretty fun. I went to mm -hmm. like a. Uh, a punks event or like an event where there's like mainly people with punks it's pretty fun like good people like real crypto ogs the doodles people were mm -hmm. just like honestly i'd describe as like good vibes just like friendly good people mm -hmm. trying to get along i went to a board eight party it was awful it was just like cringe like i was like oh man like you i don't like you as a person and i don't like you like repping the industry uh, and it's just really cringe and i think like when i see someone with a board ape now I'm like, as your profile picture, I get, it's a negative connotation in my mind. I'm like, that is a, who like, that's it's a really cringe polarizing. thing. Yeah, it's pretty, and I think it's a pretty cringe thing. So I, I just think, I think board apes are wildly overvalued right now. So this was one of my terrible predictions of the year, right? If you, people may yeah. recall in 2022, I said the, the floor for, for punks, the floor for board apes is never going to be higher than, than punks as the size it will be. But, you know, still the, the, the floor for punks now is like 62. So it's below like board apes. Yeah. Still. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Business you want to see built in 2023, crypto or non-crypto? Or you want to skip? <sighs> I'll cover it quickly because I do want it. I don't think it will be built for one particular reason, but insurance by default. If DeFi is going to work, I think we need to have insurance by default. When you're depositing an Aave, when you're borrowing, when you're minting a DAI, just give me insurance by default. Just wrap it in there. Um but I do think it needs to be an uncorrelated, like off-chain player for it to, the, the issue with insurance historically in crypto has been scale because of the core and, and on-chain solutions to struggle with correlation risk. But I think at some point, maybe not this year, it's going to be a big opportunity to build an insurance. It, it's prime for that because you have a lot of data on-chain for an actuary, i.e. a SAM, Savant, to like underwrite the risk. But the problem is that the premium you economically doesn't work now when DeFi yields are lower than treasuries. It does work when you're farming a 20% APY and you can clip a 5% premium on that. And then, so the net yield is 15. It doesn't work when it's like 2% and treasuries are five. Just will not. The risk is yep. 
You cannot make this business work today. It's just wishful thinking. So I said baked in insurance. So there you go. Boom. We got one. For what it's worth, we did not share. I was waiting for that. That's great. All right. Um, Santi, what's the best investment you made? Time or money this year? Last year? Really uh, thinking critically about time. My time where I spend my time. Like, Like freeing up a lot of my calendar to be able to have as much open time to think hmm. or try That's to think. Nice. <laughs> no, I mean, cause I came off of like DeFi summer and, you know, I just, sometimes I, like I took time to travel uh, and I had the opportunity to go to Africa. And for me, it's like really interesting. Like animals rest like 80, 90% of the time. And and I think they, and then that 10% where they go hunting, they really like go balls to the wall. And I think that I took a lot of learnings from that in terms of there are times where you just need to rest. You just need to kind of observe. And I think that I had an intuitive feeling that, you know, the year was just going to be, for me, it was just, I wanted to t- take time to reflect. I was also, I mean, I was very active still investing in, in early stage, but I think with a more open mindset of just observing um, I think 2023 is going to be that for me as well. Uh, look, if you're playing every poker hand, it's the surest way to lose. Uh, and it's difficult because as a type A person, you always you always feel that compelled to like do more. And if you're not, you feel like this fear of slowing down. Like there's a great quote in Phil Knight and Shoe Dog, which says, we run because the fear of stopping is just unbearable. And you never want to feel not relevant. And this industry moves so quickly. And so for once, I think I allowed myself to, yes, like still, I think, be involved, but at the same time in how I became involved, I think changed in terms of, yes, I'm still investing, but just observing. And a big part of that, which I'm cheating here because I'm moving into another question, which is the best thing I did was this podcast. And for me, the way to express what I think is still feel relevant in this industry, as I left Parify from like an in, a fund into just what am I going to do? I think for me, it was just this podcast is the most important thing that I've done because I think education is what's missing in this industry. Unbiased, as unbiased, disc- elevating the discourse of discussion is super important. And it was just a, when I say, I don't think I would have been able to feel comfortable taking time off, if you will, had I not been doing this podcast week in, week out. Hmm. Was that your best business decision of 2022? Personal, yeah. Like, yeah. was it the best return? No, I have another one. But you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. ROI on I like my that. time? Absolutely. I like that. I have such a, <laughs> that was a pretty deep answer. I have a less deep answer. <laughs> uh, my sure. best investment, my best investment, I took it pretty literally, was uh, of all the angel deals I did, only one was non-crypto. And it is the best, it is a company called Beehive, oh, which is, it's, um, Immediate. Built by the, yeah, it's a it's built by it's a newsletter company. So they're taking on so basically the newsletter space, like at Blockworks, for example. I think we've used like seven different email providers, like SendGrid and Mailchimp, and we tried to use Campaign Monitor, but they wouldn't let us because we're a crypto company. We got kicked off Mailchimp because we're a crypto company. Um, it like the newsletter landscape is a, just a nightmare. It's like these really old companies, um, but it's a super important thing. Like the newsletter is the backbone of a lot of media companies, and. Um, so the the guy who ran the, the the tech team at Morning Brew, this guy Tyler Dank, left Morning Brew and started a, a newsletter platform, like a for, built for the modern age media company. And um, 
uh, they're just crushing it. They're like, they're, it's a easily like unicorn company and more. They're going to do incredibly well. And they, they already are. So yeah. my best investment was my only non-crypto investment of the wow. year. Uh, my worst investment was probably, um, uh, my worst investment was also probably the worst business decision of the year. There, those are two of the same things. Um, worst investment personally was I held on to a bag of FTT tokens and just like never got around to selling it. So, right. you know, that's there a, that's a nice zero. Um, and then the worst business decision of the year. Um, well, I, I have a kind of jokey answer and then a, a more real answer. The jokey answer is we got paid by Lu uh, Luna. Luna was going to oh, sponsor right. permissionless and we got paid in UST and the peg broke. And we, you know, Mike and I were talking, I think it was down to 80. But and I think we sold like, at 80, right? Or something. Uh, I, I, I forget the actual, like what, what it was, but we were like, oh, we'll wait for the price to go back up to like 90 or 95 or something. And then we just, we, we didn't sell it at 90 no, or 95. Right. So, right. um, like that, that was a bummer. That was a bummer to have that happen. Mm -hmm. But also it was a big learning for us. We ended up hiring a director of finance and we put these, like, we, we really got that process into shape. So that was good. I think the other worst business decision was like chasing people to work at Blockworks who have big logos on their resume. Um, mm. did not, that's does not usually work out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, yeah. Um, what, what, what about you? What about, what was your worst investment time or well, money? time or money for in terms of an investment, a hard investment, it was certainly in crypto. There was a few, two deals that I won't name, but two deals that weren't renegotiated. And as an angel, a lot of times you know, the fund negotiates a term sheet with a fund and they, and then they close like one or two months later or so. There was a big, very like violent shift in the market in March. And the deal, there was two deals that I closed in the summer where I said, guys, like the market's just not there. Like you're, you, you, this shouldn't be priced at 50 million or 75 million. It's like 20. And I said, guys, it's probably better off that you like, like, well, the lead doesn't want to renegotiate and, and is it going to be a good investment? Maybe. I mean, maybe not. Depends largely on what the team does. But I think that I just look back and personally, I I kick myself because it's part of a it's part of a bigger trend that I want to continue to do more, which is just say no, uh, as opposed to like and back out. And the the issue there was, you know, I I developed a good relationship with the team before we closed and you know, they kind of pushed me hard to, to still go through. And I said, okay, fine. I lower my check size. But then it's like, no, like if I don't feel the conviction, I have a minimum check size, I'm not going to do it. And so, you know, it was, I think those two personally, I, I want to get better at just saying no. And I, and I think, you know, it's a snapshot. So it's difficult to say if they're not going to be good investments on paper, but certainly the entry point, entry point I sort of is one of the more, if not the most important thing. So entering at 75 million is a very different valuation mm -hmm. than at like 20 night and day. Great. Night yeah. and day. Yeah. Um, what's the takeaway from that? Just say no. Yeah. I like that. Okay. You, there's always these times where you feel it and then you drag your feet and then there's all these other things of like, you know, trying to manage reputation, what they're going to think. And, you know, it's important, right? reputation yeah. anyone says they don't care about what other people think is just delusional in a game of investing it's important yeah. Yeah. but still yeah best business decision of 2022 time or money 
Or is that the Empire answer? Uh, it is Empire. I'll say another, uh, which was diversifying real estate and other assets. Like, I mean, a meaningful way. I, I'd done it before, but now, like, in a, in a more meaningful, substantial way. And so uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm experimenting with real estate. I like it. Um, and I think for me, it's just... Uh, now, do you mean, like, buying real estate trusts, for example, or are you like buying no, 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 no. Like homes for, for and the renting, first renting them out and passive yes, income? Yeah. And, like okay. like a direct portfolio and and trying to spin up what I think could work of capturing a nice, clipping a nice yield and managing, like not not me doing it, but like setting yeah. up a team to, to like manage a property, rent it out. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see that project go through. It's not taking, yeah. my biggest fear was it's going to take a lot of my time. But I found a way to, that it wouldn't. Uh, and just I spend more of my time thinking, okay, we're going to get the highest cap rate. Like, what are some of the places that, like, you know, could be good rental properties? And I'm excited going into this year because I think, you know, we're in that environment where a lot of people might be able to, like, might want to let go of properties because they're underwater. Yeah. Mortgages payments are really high. And so, um, yeah, I just like real estate. Yeah. There you go. I have a couple of friends who got really deep into real estate this year. And I think the key is not is less about like the price you pay and more about are you able to get yourself out of like the rental process and create a real source of passive income. So um, my best business decision of the year was um, finally building a leadership team, I think, at Blockworks and surrendering control to people who are just way smarter than I am. So like if, if we look back, if we look back at this time last year, we didn't really have a whatever you want to call it like a leadership team an exec team um now going into 2023 we have a we have a cto we have an editor-in-chief we have an amazing coo we have a director of finance we have a director of people who starts next week we have a vp of marketing um really hope i'm not forgiving someone but uh we have a leadership team right that's baked out and it's allowed me to kind of take one step back and honestly all of them are much smarter than I am. So, and like better at what they do. So that, that was a finally doing that after five years of Blockworks was a good decision. Um, most helpful thing you started doing in 2022 and why? Uh, people not, no surprise podcasting by far yeah. empire. Like, uh, it is for me that one of the more most rewarding things is, is have people come up and say, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed that podcast. Uh, it allowed me to do X or Y or open my eyes to this and, or I do this, this is like my weekly Saturday or Sunday running routine or grabbing coffee. And uh, yeah, this it, it's very wholesome to just feel like, you know, I, I hope that this has been helpful for people. Uh, you know, we're not trying to dispense investment advice, t- telling you to buy ETH or TikTok with investment. Um, sometimes people want to hear that. We're not going to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really rewarding. Uh, it's this idea of like, <clears throat> you know, feeling relevant, uh, but also feeling like you're having an impact. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's been for me really rewarding. Well, now I feel bad if my answer is not empire, nah. but it's not, it's, uh, I also love empire, but, um, you got married. I got, you know, like, yeah. Ooh, shoot, <laughs> that should have been mine. That definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably edit this out. No problem. But yeah, I know. Listen, listen, other than getting married, other, yeah, exactly. What was exactly. Um, safe days. No, mine was uh, actually getting a trainer in last year. So I haven't like, you know, I've always taken my health seriously, but like I never, I haven't lifted like heavy weights in like a decade. My, I have kind of a bad back. Like I just like thought it wasn't really that good for you. I got a trainer and he's really pushed me to like as kind of obnoxious and like douchey as this sounds like lift heavy. And um, it's just been the best thing for my back, for my mood, mm-hmm. for like 
personal health. It's been, yeah, I, I feel better than I've ever felt. And so I think yeah. what originally seemed like a really expensive investment has paid, paid a lot, paid Absolutely. a lot of dividends. So health. yeah, getting a trainer. Um, all right. We got a couple fun ones that are a little more personal, like yeah. best habit you picked up, yeah. worst habit yeah. you picked up. You want to, <laughs> uh, you want to throw the, th- throw yours out there? Yeah. Best habit. Uh, I used to be, uh, like I stopped running for a while and I just did weights. I started running yet again. A push a friend of mine pushed me to like, uh, do the New York marathon. And, uh, I, I became, uh, so I'm, I'm running now like six days a week, have a, have a coach. Cause I'm, I'm running three marathons this year. Uh, I'm running London, Berlin and New York. Um, so yeah, running for me is, is walk is, is med is so meditating. I mean, the, the feeling that I get, it's just very liberating, um, I run with music. I love music. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, uh, the idea of consistently training and also like learning how to train is been also really cool. Like this 80% rule, which was adopted by like, people started to understand, like people started to wonder why, like the, like Russian wrestlers vastly like outperformed and beat us wrestling team in the Olympics was because they, they have this 80% training rule, which is you never want to train to a hundred percent of your effort. It's always 80%. And that allows you to one, minimize injury and train every, every other day, like consistently and the power of compounding, uh, you know, you don't get injured as much. And when you show up to rate, it's only like two, three weeks before a competition where you really push it hard. But, you know, whereas a U.S. athlete would have been training for like, you know, 100, 120 days a week, uh, sorry, a year the Russian athletes would have been training for like 320 or so. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a nice process to, to mm-hmm. pick back up because I'd missed like just running every, every day, every other day. That's great. Um, best habit that I picked up or that I continued was, um, I don't sleep with my phone in the bedroom and that's been mm-hmm. really nice. I sleep with my phone in my office, which so that when my alarm goes off, I literally have to walk, downstairs and get my phone so i don't snooze so that's been nice and then also um i don't look at my phone in the morning until i don't look at my phone in the morning until after i've come back from a morning walk which is also so it's like i kind of get like an hour before bed and an hour in the morning without a phone and that's been really nice so Hmm. um also started listening to the like andrew huberman podcast like bits and pieces like health guy um yeah it's great and yeah, he Peter recommends, yeah, exactly. They they both recommend this thing like sunlight first thing in the morning. And I, yeah. I don't know how much of it is real, but I do that. Like the first thing in the morning is I walk out, get some sunlight and that's been really helpful. I like that. So that's great. Uh, worst habit I picked up is I just, I, I found myself watching a lot of TV now. Like huh. basically every night I've stopped. I don't read cause I'm honestly like white from the day and yeah. you know, maybe 10, 10 30, I'll get into bed or something. And instead of reading a book, I'll just like, I'll throw on TV. It's great. I've, I rip through. I watch Friends and I'm watching The Office. So I'm like, wow. I've, ne- I've never shows. watched TV. I've never been like a TV person. I've never. So like, honestly, all these Michael, Michael throw out all these like jokes, cultural references. They're like jokes from mm-hmm. The Office and jokes from Friends right over my head. So the best thing about this habit is I now finally yeah, understand okay. Mike's, uh, understand Mike's cultural references. The bad thing is I'm watching a shit ton of TV. So. Hey, well, it's not necessarily that bad. Do you have any bad habits? Um, I mean, I was thinking about this a lot. Like, I do have things that are like I chew gum a lot. Like, I like like that's you, your worst you know, habit, Santi. I think you're doing no, pretty. Not my worst habit, but like you know, it's like you know, like a baseball coach. Like when they're on TV, they have like a massive like 
I don't know if they're chewing tobacco or gum, but I'm not like particularly proud of this uh, habit. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I tend to like, Ooh. yeah. Go on. What? What you can say? Oh, I was gonna. That actually reminded me. I chew a ridiculous amount of sunflower seeds. Um, this year, <laughs> I, so I, I go through. I used to go through a big pack of David's sunflower seeds a day, which is in wow, which is a horrible amount of salt. And so I bought yeah. raw sun. I bought sunflower seeds, like a five or ten pound pack of them, and I've been uh, playing around with making my own sunflower seeds. They don't taste wow. nearly as good as ranch sunflower yeah. seeds, but that's been been trying to cut hey, that habit. Ranch, ranch sunflower seeds, my dude, God. they're so good. They're so good. <laughs> All right, favorite <laughs> recurring trying. favorite recurring content of 2022 or favorite mm. individual content. What's uh? Tell me some content you liked. Talking about newsletters, there's one called the Diff, like the difference, the Diff. Uh, it's a newsletter covering inflections in finance and tech. Mm-hmm. We'll link it in the show notes. Really insightful pieces, like just quirky, like topics. Um, and it's one of those newsletters. I was go- looking back. I get a lot of newsletters delivered in the mail, but this one I deliver on Sunday. I open it. I read it like uh, religiously. So uh, it's really insightful. And so kudos to whoever does it. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. uh, one of the best newsletters or at least that I've enjoyed. I, uh, I have a couple of newsletters I really like and a couple of podcasts. podcasts. I, th- I think a lot of people started listening to the All In podcast with Sachs and Chamath and those guys. I like that one. I Pledge Allegiance podcast is my favorite like non-Blockworks podcast. Um, it's a crypto show by the Reverie team. Jacob Donnelly um, is head of B2B at uh, Morning Brew, B2B Media. He writes a media newsletter that I like. And then also just my favorite like five bullet points on the news for the day is uh, a newsletter called News Items by John Ellis. Uh, what is it? John Ellis. It's like 200 followers on Twitter, but found this guy, got recommended, and I, I like it a lot. Favorite individual piece of content was this Graham Duncan piece. Um, Graham Duncan, I think he runs a hedge fund. Uh, it was about being a time billionaire. And um, we'll link it in the show notes. But basically, the idea is like Tyler Cohen has this thing about cultural billionaires. Um, right? In culture, we're so obsessed as a culture with like money. We like deify these like dollar billionaires in that way. Um, Graham Duncan kind of co-opted that term, and he's like, I think about billionaires. Um, of t- he's like, when I was thinking about time billionaires, it's when I see sometimes like a twenty-year-old. The thought is that they have like two billion seconds of their life left. Right, a million seconds is eleven days. A billion seconds is thirty-one years. Right, so thirty-one years, billion se- billion seconds, eleven days, million seconds, and so it's like. You know, if you could go to Rupert Murdoch, I think is the example Graham Duncan uses, who's worth, I don't know, 20 or $25 billion. He's 87 years old. What would he pay if he could take the next five years of someone's 20 yeah. year old healthy body and healthy mind, right? What, what, what price would they pay? Um, yeah. And he explains, he's like, my, he's like, as I've gotten older, my pricing has gone completely exponential and has gone completely yeah. vertical. Um, yeah, and that Bezos just, is kind of the record saying like he would pay billions and give up. Yeah. That made me think about time. So go back 20 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on this point alone, like I, I do think it's like very refreshing. I know taking a step aside for a bit, like, as we talk about like, what was your best investment and make predictions and like, look back in the year, like it's been a tough year for most. And I just remind myself of like, this you talked about a funny thing, which is Equinox shut down all like subscri- like all like new subscriptions on the first of the year because it's the people that probably are not going to commit and churn. I think it was you or someone else who said that. Yeah, I think it's yeah, like yeah. I don't kind of like this idea where like people like for the first three weeks say Happy New Year and like set these goals, and I just feel that like you just have to do something and 
like the power of compounding, like doing small incremental things that may not feel massive or super rewarding at once will really, really compound over time. And like, I, I tend to think of like, okay, how many more, let me ask you a question. How, how many more years are you going to have to build BlockWorks or in your productive life to continue to be an angel investor? How, how many more years do you think you're going to have? A lot. 30 yeah. plus. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And so it's like. Hopefully more than 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. and so it's like, I, I think it's a big part of what Eric says and all these things come together, which is like your reputation is the most important thing. Like, you know, keep your head down, build, don't get too ahead of, you know, narratives or get carried away with stuff and just do the right thing over and over again. And I think that will like massively show up over a span yeah. of three, four years. What, uh, any favorite individual content for you? Definitely. It was, uh, this Son Son conference, uh, where John Collison, the, one of the Stripe co-founders interviewed Stan Druckenmiller. Oh, Druckenmiller. Such a good chat. Uh, yeah. It was, it was such a great conversation and it was right around the summertime. I think it was June, mid June, where I listened to it. And for me, it was seeing someone of his caliber come out and say, Hey, we're living in unprecedented times. Like I'm not, and, and hearing also his history of how he's dealt historically with ups and downs in his professional career and, you know, investing, um, was just really eye opening. It was great to, to hear his perspective. Uh, so highly encourage folks to go and listen to that. Druckenmiller is probably probably had the best predictions of the last two years. He like he nailed the inflation take. He nailed what's happened with commodities. He nailed impending recession. He nailed big layoffs coming to big tech. He nailed. I mean, if you listen to if you listen to only Druckenmiller and just took his trades and he publicly shared his trades too. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, he 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 crushed it. Um, yeah, I think they went to a lot of cash in the summer and said, I just don't know what's happening in the world. So I'm not trying to be a hero. And I've largely kind of adopted that thinking. Yep. Um, yeah, that was a great chat. If you had to leave crypto today, Santi, what would you work on? It's an interesting question because there have been times over the last, like, God, I don't know how many years I've thought about this. And I do have a very clear answer. And it would be working on sequencing the microbiome, starting a company to do it. Meaning like if people remember there, we sequence it like DNA, like Craig Venter and, and there was a government that also was working on it. And I think it was like a really impactful milestone to then like develop drugs and like medications and cures for a lot of things like uh, CRISPR and modifying DNA to solve like rare diseases, I'm of the mind that, so the microbiome is much more complex because you have way more bacteria in your gut than you have DNA. So largely is a computational problem, which I think coincides nicely with where we are in terms of quantum and the ability to process massive reams of data. And I've had this idea when I was working at a health startup, like researching aging, it was actually during the last bear market. And a lot of the best scientists I got to know, because we were also working on the microbiome, was kind of a key hallmark of aging and how your body kind of absorbs nu nutrients. Um, and I think a lot of the unsolved medical mysteries will, will be unlocked when we further understand the microbiome and sequence it. Because once you sequence it, then you start saying, okay, give me a correlation of like, how does microbiome look for people that have developed cancer or obesity or 
you know, some other type of form, disease, right? Like irritable bowel syndrome. And I think like most of your nutrient absorption happens in, in, in the microbiome. And so if there is deficiency there, I think it has a whole downstream effects and second order effects into your broader health and how we age and any sort of disease that you might develop further down the line. And, and so I think that's like the big puzzle that remains unsolved in, and I'm, look, I'm not a scientist, so, you know, people may, may correct me, but it's, a, it's an area that I've been fascinated in with that in nuclear. But I think for me, like microbiome is, is really interesting field and, you know, in many ways it's a coordination problem because the NHS, like in the U S you know, doesn't really fund, you know, I was, I was, there was like 14 Nobel laureates in the board of this company and like, they don't really get a lot of funding. There's so many topics that they, they just yeah. shelf because they don't get, and the incentives are kind of screwed. And, um, yeah, I just wish to like, I think it takes like hundred million dollars to like sequence a microbiome and you basically have to like collect stool samples from every single kind of so, like culture <laughs> and like, and just like map out, like, what does a normal microbiome look like? How does that inform what you eat? Um, and, and your, your uptake to different kinds of diet and medication. So yeah, it's like, a, I'm fascinated by this. You're basically dedicating the next 10 years of your life to dealing with a lot of shit. So, um, good, good luck to which basically sounds a lot like crypto anyway. So it's basically now going to collect like <laughs> actual shit. Yeah. People are trading shit coins. I'm going to go and like, you know, collect I, actual I like that. shit. I like that response. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's a good one. It's funny. Actually thinking about this do? question. Well, it's funny even thinking about this question. I remember in 20, the 2019, like the heart of the bear market, Mike and I having a couple of beers and being like, you know, this whole crypto thing doesn't work out. Like, what should we do? I think I was like, I think, I think Mike was like, I'd want to go work at Netflix. I forget what I said. I think I was like, I'd probably start something. I forget, I forget the answers, but, um, it's like I like in this. It's just interesting seeing our mindsets two years later, three uh, excuse me, three years later, four years later. I've never once had that thought. Like in the the thought of like if crypto works or not. It's it's just interesting. Like that bear market, a lot of people were like, if this whole crypto thing doesn't work out, even people like myself who had started a company in the industry, and now nobody even asked that question. Um, and like I've never once. It was funny trying to think of like what would I go do because I'm like, well, I wouldn't not work in crypto like there's no i think if you understand risk reward today you work in crypto like there's no like there's no other industry i would want to work in so that like it was interesting thinking about this that being said i do have i do have an answer to this which is um basically there are some big topics that haven't caught on um and haven't gone mainstream simply because the narrative is in the wrong is not in their favor and I think the two big ones right now are like probably psychedelics and nuclear. So yeah. nuclear, like the narrative around nuclear is that it's unsafe. But when you actually right. look at the facts, nuclear is just a better source of energy. Yeah. Folks, and psychedelics too, it's like, yeah, it's like psych psychedelics too. It's like the facts show that psychedelics are can in certain scenarios be really good for you and mm -hmm. a better yeah. replacement than a replacement to or yeah, at least a second option or an alternative to some mainstream like prescriptions, mm -hmm. but the yeah. narrative is incredibly against them. Now I think that's changing totally quickly, great. but so I'd probably do something there because I think, um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Something around personal health would be super interesting too, but mm -hmm. I, I think those are complete money losing businesses. And it's like yeah. not really in my DNA to go start a company that doesn't make money for 20 years. I, I think I'd have <laughs> trouble doing that.
So there's a couple of things um, that you just said that, that are really cool. Uh, just commenting briefly on, uh, I think working in crypto and being a part of the industry really gives you a very strong appreciation for narrative formation and the yeah. importance of narratives. Um, and yeah, I do agree with you. Like for folks listening, it, the, we touched on this, like just recently on like, you have like how many more years is billionaire, like time, billion time concept. Um, you know, it's for me, it was like, okay, where, what, I, I don't know, like people might be listening and they're much older, but like, if, if you're young, you just graduated, like there arguably isn't a better time in your life to take like outsized asymmetric risk, whether it's nuclear, yeah. whatever. And, and it's just like very refreshing. Like what's your downside and what's a potential upside downside yeah. is time. But yeah, it's, it's like a good way to frame it as you just, I did. think that if anyone my age under like, Ah, this is going to sound really annoying. I was going to say, if you understand risk reward today, you work in crypto. Like the yeah. major, you should work in crypto. The majority of people, I think. Now there are other things like nuclear, psychedelics. There's some big advancements yeah. in in healthcare probably that need to get worked on. But like pushing a pixel, like Web two has basically become pushing pixels around mm -hmm. and like optimizing a landing page from like a 9.8% conversion to like a 9.9% conversion. Like that's what the SaaS industry entails now. Okay. 10 years ago, yeah. like go change the world, go build SaaS companies. But now yeah. if you work at one of those companies, you're optimizing a conversion rate from like 9.8 to 9.9. .9. So yeah. By the way, anyways. one last thing there, one last thing there is what you're saying is super important. Like there is this idea of much less existential risk in the industry. Yet again, we're seeing prices that we saw in the last cycle where there was existential risk. So the industry feels to me much more de-risked and clearer verticals and use cases with traction behind them. Uh, and so this is why I think it's super exciting, like the optimism. Oh, the industry is so much more de-risked this time around. It's funny. There's yeah. um, We have our company offsite in a week and it's like Mike and I always put together like the opening deck, I think, for like the company. We do like an hour, two hour kickoff and we always talk about like, where the uh, like our like state of the union like where's the industry at and um mm. it's just funny because like i just even though there are like we have a lot of new employees and people who have maybe just come into the industry but like and in their minds it's like holy crap like what did i just get myself into <laughs> like and in my mind like the industry is so de-risked right now it's so it's such a no-brainer and i'm so confident that things are will return so anyways um favorite app or product that you started using last year i went back to reading the newspaper, uh, particularly the Financial Times. Like I just went back to. I love that. Yeah, that's great. You know, like there's something you start the day and you get like sunlight. For me, it just became a nice habit of waking up, reading the newspaper, and like drinking coffee. And I think the Financial mm -hmm. Times has some pretty interesting. Like I think it's one of the best, if not the best, newspaper out there. They have great editorialists like Jillian Tett, a few others, a few others that are not so good too, that are just like constantly like having these very negative takes on, on crypto that are not very balanced, but uh, yeah, it's just good too. Uh, I, I, I religiously kind of read the paper each morning. How about you? Um, I started using a, an app called clay. It's like a personal, a personal CRM, but I've used, I've always wanted a personal CRM that actually worked. But the problem with every personal CRM in the past is like whether or not you build it in yourself or in like a notion or something like that, or, um, mm. or like it, or, or just like, there's a software that's built for it. They never work. I think because they're not auto populated with your existing network. 
you have to be like, all right, mm-hmm. I talked to Santiago today and like, let me input my notes. Clay pulls in all your information from everywhere. So it mm-hmm. pulls in your like, it pulls in everything. Like every message I send anywhere, like it pulls into Clay basically. And Clay will be like, all right, like you haven't like hit up this person in a while. Like, but you, it seems like you used to like really engage with them. And it's actually, it's been really helpful. And it's really helpful. Like if I'll go to dinner with someone and then I go to dinner with them, like six months later, I'm like, damn, like, I don't remember what we talked about at all, Hmm. but I know we had a great conversation. It's helpful to go back to that. It's also helpful to be like, if you go to a new city, it auto pop, you can just type in like, um, media people in media people in Austin, Texas. And it'll be like, you have 14, you have 14 media people in Austin, Texas in your network. Mm. Um, and it'll be like, oh crap, I didn't realize this person lives there. So like I went to London for a week in 2022 and I was like, crypto people in London. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize I, I totally forgot Stani is in London. Like, let me hit up Stani. And it just pulled that right. in. So yeah, I like it. That's great. That's really cool. Snap called Clay. Um, yeah. Dream podcast guest for Empire this year. I like to go first. Why don't I go first? I have, um, yeah. I, I think I have lame it. answers. I think I have lame answers because like there are people I really want to talk to, but then like they also have to tie into crypto. Um, Mark Andreessen is one of them. Like either Mark Andreessen or Ben Horowitz. I actually mm-hmm. pro- like, yeah, either, either one of them. I'd really like to have on the podcast. Um, I have a uh, CZ. I, I would like to have on the podcast. I'd like to like, yeah. there are some questions I have for CZ and I want to get his take on them. Um, I've always wanted to have Wences Casares who started yeah. Zappo. He's like not a big name at all. I doubt the episode would get many downloads, I mean, but like, I just gonna, for me, he's respect that. Yeah, I just respect the hell out of him. He's one of the early people who got me like convinced that Bitcoin's a real thing. I heard him um, one time. I went to like a J.P. Morgan event. It's probably like seventy-five like people in the room, and they brought him to speak. This was a, two years ago, probably, and he has the most articulate vision for Bitcoin that I've ever heard. And I know that yeah. like we're, I think the industry and like we're all getting pretty like pro eth people are getting sick of like bitcoins probably because like the bitcoin maxi crowd i would love to have like a bitcoin conversation with wences um Mm -hmm. probably something similar with jack dorsey i'd love to have jack on the show just because he's Mm -hmm. like very bitcoin maxi but Mm -hmm. also like i respect the hell out of what he's built i'd also love to get his take on what elon's doing with twitter um barry silbert is another one that came to mind like have a especially right now. So yeah, those, those yeah. are some of the names, but, but I'm not like, I feel like I'm not, I didn't, I didn't love my answers for that. So what, what do you think? No, I, I, I didn't love my answer to this question too. Uh, it ties back to my favorite piece of content. I would love to have Stan Druckenmiller in the, in the pod, getting his refreshed takes on the year, uh, on, on the industry. Um, and, and just reflecting on since his, since I last saw his podcast. Uh, and the other one was Elon. Like I just, I'm curious to talk to him about his strategy in Twitter. Maybe we could have a, the, the ideal would be Elon and Jack in a pod mm. to see how they just talk about and agree, disagree. And Dream big, baby. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be nice. Plus see, the ones that you said are also really, uh, really good. So I don't think they're lame, but uh, yeah. What are your, I'm no, sorry, business goals for the year or actually if you if you can help us land any of those podcast guests santi and i are flying you out we're taking you to dinner yes. dinner on Actually. us yes. yeah land one of those people um you want to start with business goals for the year or, or uh, personal goals these are our last two topics uh let's go business and personal all right start it off 
So you said two to three business goals for the year. The first one is uh, I want to turn Empire into the number one podcast. First with crypto and then just generally investing. This year, I think just in crypto. Uh, I do want it to be the go-to. The When people think of the go-to for getting high quality as unbiased kind of crypto knowledge and content, I want the Empire to be synonymous with that. And so, yes, that is, I'm very committed to that because I think education is the most important thing missing in this industry where I can help. Like I'm not a developer, like I can't work on like zero knowledge proofs, but I do think that we can, um, we have something going here and I'd like to turn that into, and I see no reason why we can't. So, so that's one. And the second one is really helping, particularly my gaming portfolio kind of really launch this year. I did a lot of work last year with a few of them, Step In, Luvium, and others. And I want to continue to do that because I just think that gaming is really going to be this email moment of this industry where it just dispels. It's like, here you go, guys. Like, there we go. We have a million, like this lifestyle app or gaming app that just blows people's minds off. And, and I think it's just going to take, it's going to take one or two games to really like you started seeing like inklings like board ape got a lot of traction, but the problem, the value, the, the proposition that people need to shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars and the collections only 10,000. I struggle with that being that, that thing, but I feel like we're so close. I see it. I've been playing these games. Like I'm seeing how these teams are building and I think it's going to happen in 2023. And I'm really excited for that. And, and I'm applying as much energy into that in helping these teams kind of like really go to market. Um, Cause I think it's going to be super impactful for the industry. Hmm. I like those. I can get behind that you? empire one. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, there we go. Yeah. I would uh, let's see for, I, I mean, a couple of block works goals for the year, like just continue building the leadership team. Like would love to have a really, really, really strong leadership team that has ownership over every like core business line and department of Blockworks. I'm really excited about that. Just like, you know, just, I, I end up learning personally, learning a lot from these people and just, yeah, love, love working with smart people and excited about that. Um, I'm really excited to build Blockworks's brand in the, it's a little alpha leak, but in the governance and grants space. So we have some stuff coming, um, in both governance and grants. And, um, I think people will see more about that in the first, first half of this year. And we're doing, we're really as, tough as of a, of a time as it, as it is for DAOs right now, we're incredibly optimistic about DAOs and we're, we've built a ton of stuff behind the scenes for, for DAOs and, um, and for pe people who participate in DAOs, especially people who invest in DAOs. And, uh, we're, we're launching a lot of that this year. And just, I want to build our brand in the governance and grant space. Um, cause I don't think people kind of associate Blockworks with that. So I think, and I think that's on me to push that ball up the hill. Um, on that note, I want to get, uh, Blockworks research really on the map, like somewhere between 50 to 100, probably closer to 100, like paying companies and funds to our research platform. It's 2,500 bucks a month, uh, excuse me, 2,500 bucks a year, which is like such a wild, no, it's 75% cheaper than any of our competitors. It's such a no brainer to subscribe to it. And it's again, just like, I don't think it's in front of the right people right now. And I think that's on me and some other folks on the team to, you know, if you, to, to basically push that ball up the hill and, and kickstart that flywheel. Uh, I mean, it's it's 208 bucks a month. If you can't make more than 208 bucks a month reading our research and platform, like you're probably in the wrong business. So that's that's one goal. Um, 
I want to scale our podcast network. Right now we have five podcasts internally. Like we have five like internal like Blockworks shows. Um, I want to double that to 10. I think there's some shows that are missing in the industry. Like I don't want to actually leak too much alpha, but there's some like really clear podcasts that are missing. Um, and I think like podcasts can be this really nice flywheel. Like if we have a, if we had the, if we have another large show, like it ends up helping empire empire can help launch it. It helps, it helps like grow empire plugging. So like, I think that's a really fun thing. And then the last thing is just, we're going to host permissionless again. And I want to keep pushing. I think we push the bar on what's possible with, with conferences. And I just want to keep pushing the bar on like, and build another world-class crypto conference. So that's uh, in Austin, right? In Austin this year. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. Those are some goals, man. Um, all right, let's wrap it with personal uh, goals. Uh, well, last, last, yeah. out of curiosity, just on this point, how big was Blockworks in like 2020, 2021? Like how much, what's like your most important KPI? Like I'm, I'm curious how many people you've hired like this year, like 2022. And, and we started that like the, the what metric. Um, I mean, how many people we've hired is not the right metric to look at, I'd say. Cause like, I think we've never raised any like outside venture money. And so like that, you know, if you look at someone like, well, I won't name names. There are other crypto media companies that I think will have like are pretty bloated right now. So on paper, they have too many people in my mind, but Mm -hmm. I won't name names. Um, no, like our metrics are like that I look at are like our total audience. So like how many podcast downloads do we have across the network? How many newsletter subscribers do we have? Page views is really mm-hmm. is also important. Mm-hmm. Page views is like a bad, it's like not a perfect measure, but yeah. uh, I, I look at on, on the editorial side, I look at page views compared to our competitors. So Because like total page views mm-hmm. goes down in a bear. So if you set page view mm-hmm. targets, you'll probably be off. Um, cause like it's maybe very like content dep- engagement. Like, I don't know if you use like, it, well, no, it's, it's page views relative. It's our percentage of the market share that we own. Oh, so I if see. you add, if Got you basically it. take our page views as the numerator and then the denominator is, um, uh, like all the like page totally. views of like Coindesk plus the block plus decrypt and like our, our market share percentage. So that's one of the bigger company goals of the year is like, there's a current percent and I want to increase that. Correct. So, Got it. yeah. Yeah. And then revenue matters, obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, personal, personal goals. Uh, I want to link to something that I wrote like in the last bear market around like it's called the summit. I want to, it ties into one of my goals because I think of like setting the right intention. Goal setting could be tricky because I think it can lead you to, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of goal setting, but I, I do have like certain, I guess, concrete goals, if you will. Um, one of them is running a sub two hours and 40 minute marathon. My PR is 247 and I want to go below 240 and then hopefully continue to progress. Uh, so I'm kind of committed to that. Uh, I want to, I don't know, just want to break that and, and then maybe go down to 230. I'm going on the record. So if I don't do it, guys, well, you know, All right. just, I'll look at you. I guess I'll, All try. Hold you to that. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. Uh, but yeah, I'm having a lot of, look, as is, I'm having a lot of fun running. It's one of the best things I've started doing again this year. And, yeah. you know, whether I break it or not, but I'll, I'll give it a good shot. Nice. Um, the second one, I really want to go to New Zealand. It's one of the few places I haven't been to. And I I want to go where, to the scene where they filmed Lord of the Rings and like the Milford Sound. And I just think it's like an incredible country. I haven't been able to do that because of COVID, like they shut down and Australia too. 
like I want to do Australia, New Zealand. I haven't figured out what the best way to do it is. Like, should I, but so Let's people have suggestions. Yeah, well, like I've, I've invested in a lot of projects in Australia and maybe Alluvium does like a festival of conference there this year. So uh, I'll definitely kind of do that uh, in tandem. But uh, yeah, I I want to I want to go there probably November, December where it's summer there. And the last one is I want to go back to long form writing. I have a blog, mm-hmm. which I haven't uh, I haven't published nothing uh, like I haven't published new entries. I write some things I never publish. Um, I've been obviously focused on the podcast and like I tweet, I, I guess I shit post for a living now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I want to go back to it to actually, I think you said this in one episode, but you go, you have this habit of like going to like the New York public library and like writing. I think this idea of writing really has helped me kind of crystallize process, digest a lot of things. It's been, it's been, I think it's going to be one of those years, like 2022, 2023, it certainly was for me in last cycle where, it takes time to process a lot of the things that have happened. The, the world increasingly moves at a faster pace, but I think there's value in, in writing stuff out in ordering yeah. that process. And I, I enjoyed it. I haven't like necessarily found the time in the last two, three years where I was focused on doing other things, but I think I have the time now to, I want to, I want to at least go back to writing. Nice. I like all those. I like all those. Um, uh, I have, uh, I have three. One is I want to spend right. uh, some of the best weekends in 2022 for me were weekends spent in nature, like getting out of New York, going up to, I don't know, like the Catskills or something like that, or up to like you know, upstate New York or Hudson Valley. And yeah, I just want to spend, I want to spend a quarter, quarterly, once a quarter, just long weekend in nature, whether that's like in a cabin we rent or something like that. So that's, that's one. Um, I want to, hit the 800 club for lifting, which is, um, something, yeah, my trainer's pushing me to do, which is 800 pounds of deadlift squat and bench. Like if you add up what you can do for all three of those 800 pounds. Um, and then I just started playing chess. Is that set on a certain ratio of your body weight or is it just an absolute number? Like for everyone? It's just an absolute number. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start calling you this 800 pound gorilla. So, yeah, I want to be the 800 pound goal. <laughs> yeah. uh, so 800, 800 um, I have no idea if that's a good goal or not a good goal, but yeah, I want to, I want to do that. And also uh, I just started playing chess. I've never really played chess in my life. Like, and I, I didn't play as a kid or anything oh. like that. So I, I started playing on the chess app this year and you start, started a couple months ago. You started, I think they start you as like a 400 player or 500 player. I'm now at, they give you like an, I guess it's called an ILO, ELO ranking or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm now at an 800, which is really bad, oh. but I want, I want to get to a 1200 in chess, which the real chess players out there are going to laugh at that number, but I want to get to a, a 1200 by the end of the year. So there's some really good chess players in crypto, like Ben, my former partner of Parify, quite good. Actually, I think he was like fairly high ranked. Uh, so if um, you know, who's play. really good is Robert Leshner Rob, at compound. Robert, and Robert. I think, I think um, Ben beat Robert or was Matt. That? Yeah. Uh, Matt playing from, um, paradigm, oh, paradigm is also really good. Paradigm. Yeah. There, there was like a con like a, a tournament and the final, I think was like Kane and, and Ben actually. Uh, oh, really? Synthetics. Yeah. Oh, yeah interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to get my chess yeah. game up. I've never played. I've never really played. So I'm, I'm, I'm you've obviously play. watched the, the, the Magnuson, uh, documentary this norwegian prodigy who like yeah Mag- magnus carlson i've been watching a lot of like yeah. magnus. Uh, magnus i haven't actually seen the documentary magnus i've been carlson. watching him on youtube though just like i just listened to him on lex friedman actually yeah, yeah, yeah. so nice man 
Well, I'm, I'm not in. very good at chess, so you know, you, anytime we want to have like validation that you're a good player, just you know, come, come beat me. <laughs> yeah, <if you> want, <laughs> I want to feel really good about myself. Yeah, no, this is uh, this fun, fun chat. I'm uh, yeah. yeah thanks, thanks everyone for listening. I'm really excited about this year. We have some really fun podcasts lined up. I think we have a really good guest list. I think we're like just I don't know, continuing to improve. But as Santi always says, like if you guys have feedback for the show. Don't drop it in the YouTube comments because that's just a mean place. But tweet at us and oh. uh, yeah, yeah, tell us. Tell us what you want yeah. to see. Well, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Always open to suggestions and you know, let us what you think about this format. Uh, if you like it, we'll you know continue to experiment with this type of format. Questions and maybe fire around or stuff like that. So you know, always welcome feedback. But as always, really appreciate everyone listening and uh, taking time out of your day to hear us ramble. Happy New Year, folks! Happy New Year, everyone.